Hey guys, are you one of the many fathers with sons who have lamented the fact that we've lost a sense of what it means to be a man in the church and in the world today? And also, we've lost rites of passage for sons to become men. I would love to be able to come out and talk to the men of your church on rites of passage, building sons into men. The Bible teaches that God has created men to worship, work, protect, provide, lead, and love. And what I've done is built these rites of passages in a malleable way so you can take these, adopt them, or change them to suit your church or your particular son so they can have a clear vision of what manhood is and how to get there. If you would like me to come for a seminar or conference, please reach out to me and we can work out the details. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. This ministry exists to provide coaching, resources, and events for pastors and church members. My name is Jared Sparks. Join me as I talk pastoral ministry, applied theology like manhood and womanhood, political theology, and cultural analysis with a little bit of hunting and fishing thrown in. I'm a husband, a father, and a pastor, and I'm here to remind you of the chief pastor and our king, Jesus. Hey guys, and welcome back to the Shepherd's Crypt Podcast. Hope you guys are having a great day today. Hope you had a great Christmas. And it's, I'm recording before New Year Day, New Year's Day, but uh, it's probably going to release here after New Year's. So Happy New Year to you. And hope all that was a lot of fun. Hope you had a good time with family and food, giving, receiving gifts, all that kind of stuff. We love Christmas time and the whole, really, the Advent season. We just really love because we have so many things going on. And I hope that's the case with you guys as well. We wrap the year up, and we're looking forward to 2024. Got some great goals ahead of us uh, that I'm looking forward to, and our family's looking forward to. And uh, it's always a good time just to reflect. But today, for the first thing that we have on the docket for the year, I'm getting to talk baseball in First Corinthians chapter seven about holy children, children being holy. What does that mean? I'm going to ask him that, and it's going to fit right in line with this this new series I have going on on the Baptist Covenant household. I'm talking to Joshua Jenkins. Joshua, how's it going, man? Hey, it's going good. Uh, it's good to be back on again. I lo- always love talking to you, man. Absolutely. Well, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll dive into some baseball talk. Father, we thank you for this time. We ask for blessing upon this conversation, and it's just a joy to talk about things we enjoy. I think many of us listening in had memories going back from the earliest we can remember about baseball and just having a good time. And with Joshua, just see his passion for the game, and it's going to be a really good time listening to him and and learning things about a game I grew up loving, my first love with sports, and and also just talking about our children as well, and, and what they, they mean in the context of a, a home with a believing spouse and an unbelieving spouse, and, and just what all that means. And uh, Lord, we want to honor you in this conversation. I pray it'd be a lot of fun. I pray everybody listening in would just have a, have a really good time, and I think I pray that like memories would be sparked from when they were early on and playing sports and having a good time, and uh, this would just be a blessed conversation. In Jesus' name, amen. Man. All right, man, you posted on Gab, and I bit. You put the hook <laughs> out there, dangled it, and said, I want to talk to somebody about baseball. So what's the big deal, man? Like, why do you love baseball so much, and why are we talking about baseball today? Well, I think kind of like you, I grew up uh, in a baseball home. Dad loved baseball. And so from the earliest ages I can remember – was throwing a playing playing catch with my dad in the yard, and then getting right into t-ball, 
And so many memories from my childhood revolve around baseball, uh, whether it's playing the game, going to a game, watching a game. But I think one of the things I remember most was anytime I was driving around in the car with my dad, we'd have the, the Cardinals radio uh, oh, going, yeah. listening to baseball in the car. That's how I consumed most uh, baseball growing up, listening to Mike Shannon on the radio. <laughs> and those were great Cardinal years, too. So um, really, I can say because of my dad, I love baseball. And I think that in itself gets me thinking about the goodness of a game like baseball in that it's not just our experience or my experience, but so much of baseball in America has been handed down father to son. Oh yeah. So many movies, baseball stories revolve around a father and a son having a catch. And it starts when the kid's young. And then when the dad gets to become an old man, you can still go out and have a catch. And that's really a Christian uh, idea underneath that of, of father's, passing on tradition to sons. Mm -hmm. So I've just begun to think a lot more about those kind of principal things behind the game mm -hmm. in a Christian way in recent years. And it's uh, kind of made me love it in a good way even more. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a uniqueness too in our country with baseball and any other sport around the world, really it's, it's intimately tied in with just America as a whole down to our history. And, and so even from the historical perspective, you, know, you think about America, there's things that pop to the surface. It's like, okay, Second Amendment, you know, guns. The it, I read a book last year. It talked about how why America and gun culture is tied together so much. And it's because a lot of the Western expansion and the frontier was tied to the technology of firearms. And at that same time, there was the need for these kind of firearms for hunting, for protection, that sort of thing. And so everything that was going on at that particular time with all this technological advancement tied that into our culture but somehow with baseball as well i mean it's just woven into you know you grew up in america well, i mean you're gonna play baseball right yeah you know I, I like to say sometimes that baseball is a result of the christian faith because because of its connection and outgrowth from american culture because america is a result at least in its founding and beginnings of the christian faith and uh, all the the religious history of America, the freedom that we have due to the Christian religion, baseball was invented in that world. It came out of that that world that was flourishing with the, the blessings of Christian ideas. Hmm. And so we have Christianity to thank for baseball. And it's, you know, the oldest, you know, it's America's pastime, one of the oldest sports played in this country. So many of the guys who played baseball in the early early years of it were Christian guys. I think there's a, a bad, a stereotype that's obviously got truth to it, but also not in the, the whole truth that a lot of the early 1900s baseball players, like a Ty Cobb or whatever, they were just kind of the, the foul mouths, you know, the gamblers, mm -hmm. you know, the bad guys, bad boys of society. And there was certainly some of that, but there are also devout Christian men. Um, I mentioned to you, I, I made a post about, Christy Mathewson, one of the all-time great pitchers in the game of baseball from 1900 to 1917 or about there was his career. Still one of the all-time greats, records that still stand today. Um, but he was a devout Christian. I believe he was raised a Presbyterian, but he refused to pitch on the Lord's Day on Sundays. And uh, he the, the, the interesting thing is he wasn't the only one. 
there's mm. a number of other guys in that era that wouldn't play on the Lord's Day. And in fact, what's really amazing to talk about baseball in a Christian society, there were a number of states that that outlawed the playing of baseball or oh, any wow. sport, just like the blue laws yeah, for that hunting. apply to, to baseball. So there was only like six states actually that even allowed baseball on the Lord's Day for uh for a few few decades there. So like I say, it's a beautiful there's a beautiful connection of baseball, America, mm-hmm. and the Christian faith. Yeah. Well, I imagine the theological theological conversations that were going on back then, you know, in our confession and in the Westminster standards as well, recreation on the Lord's Day is out. So are you a hardline Sabbatarian or, and then, you know, okay, is this recreation or is this work? If you're being paid for it now, it's more than just recreation. I I imagine there were some pretty hot conversations going on between (laughs) some folks and churches and people and around the dinner table as well at that time. Can you believe they're going to play baseball on Sunday? I mean, (laughs) talk about people getting fired up. Mm -hmm. Okay. So my earliest memories, my dad and my mom both introduced me to baseball. My mom loved Lou Brock growing up. And later in life, got to meet him because uh, the youth pastor at our church became friends with Daryl Porter. I don't know if you remember the the, the name Daryl Porter from the Cardinals. I do. Okay, so Daryl Porter had battle battles with cocaine and alcohol, becomes a Christian, and you know ends up just just radically transformed. My youth pastor one day to get charismatic for a minute thought that God wanted him to call Bush Stadium and ask for <laughs> Daryl Porter. So he looks up Bush Stadium's phone number somehow calls, I don't know, and find, however you found out numbers in other towns, and calls Bush Stadium and says, can I talk to Daryl Porter? And she said, yes, just a second. And Daryl Porter comes to the dugout, answers the phone, and starts talking to Dave Morani, my youth pastor. Dave and Daryl Porter become best friends. Okay? No way. <laughs> yes. Daryl Porter would come down to our church, to our youth group. We spent a ton of time. I got Daryl Porter signed, autograph stuff. Well, he ended up dying. Uh, and there was cocaine found in his system. So it was kind of a sad story of, of a, re- a relapse. But because of those connections there, Dave got to know a lot of people in the Cardinals organization, my youth pastor, and he brought my mom up to meet Lou Brock. And so I heard about yeah. the Cardinals growing up from my youth pastor, from my mother, and then my dad, Just he always you know, coached baseball. In fact, I always played shortstop. And my greatest memory growing up, and I'm going to ask you yours here, so I'm going to throw mine out first. My greatest memory playing baseball growing up, we were Triple E barbecue. We were undefeated that year. And I think I was, it was, I was six years old and we ended up playing Johnson City's all-star team. And they just came to play the best team in our league, which is us. And we were playing their, their all-star team and it was a tight game. And we were, we were up by one and there was a hit, a line drive. I'm six years old right above my head. And I jump up and I catch, snag that thing. I mean, I felt like I was reaching up 10 feet high. I snagged that out of the air, caught it, fired it to first. And Michael Farinelli got it. It was a double play to end the game. And (laughs) we ended up winning that game. And it was just, you know, an epic memory that I'll never forget. So, you know, your dad introduced you to the game. So what are those first memories then that you remember that you just cherish? (laughs) Yeah, that's great. Yeah. It's crazy how those things stick with you in those moments. Uh, man, I think my greatest memory would be, I was probably about the same age as you were with that memory, are we had a great, uh, I grew up in a small town in Kansas, great baseball country. We had uh, a great city league. For ba- It was very, very competitive. You know, today, unfortunately, a lot of city leagues are not competitive because all the guys that are really good go play travel ball, and that's a whole mess. 
But back then, the city leagues were really, really good. And they actually had a draft for the teams each year. Oh, wow. Whoever the coaches, they would be coaching their sons. So they'd have their sons on their team, and they would draft the rest of the players. So was, uh, you, you would never see that today, I don't think, in a city league. So anyway, uh, me and one of my best friends growing up uh, played baseball many years. Both of our dads coached, so we kind of were stuck on the same team together. Uh, finally, we had made it to the championship game of our, our league championship, which is really competitive. We were always kind of like a good team, but weren't as stacked as some of the other teams because they would like stack up with multiple dads coaching for, for good <laughs> players and stuff. So we were kind of like a two-headed monster, our team. The rest of the guys were pretty stacked. Finally, we made the championship game, sixth grade year, 12-year-old uh, season. And I was me and the other kid were the pitcher and catcher. We would just switch every game. Mm -hmm. uh, he'd pitch, I'd catch, vice versa. So I was pitching that last game. Uh, well, before that, the game to get to the championship, I hit a grand slam off a kid. Oh, nice. Just a big, juicy, juicy <laughs> meatball. Oh, Popped it, grand awesome. slam, go to the championship game. Uh, I hit a home run in that game, pitched the whole game. And the last pitch, there's a guy threatening to score, got the batter to pop up just behind the – uh catcher's area in the foul territory my friend we have it on video he runs over slides on his knees catches it on his knees sliding and then we both run to each other jump up it's a great video great memory and then right after that we have our all-star team which is the, you know the best players on all the teams mm -hmm. from that league and the kid who threw me the meatball pitch as a grand slam was on the all-star team okay he was good and the coach uh, walk into practice for the all-star team. The coach says, uh, his name was Patrick, the kid. He says, hey, Patrick, you got any dessert to go with that meatball? <laughs> uh, so awesome. I never, never forgot it. This is a great season, great run. Uh, man, that's that's <laughs> awesome. My struggle was always hitting. I always had a glove, and that got me into all-stars and that kind of thing. I always had a good, good glove and a decent arm. And love playing shortstop. Ozzy Smith was my favorite player growing up. So every Hallelujah party growing up at our church, you know, we didn't do Halloween. So the, the, the Hallelujah party, I was Ozzy Smith like eight years in a row, you know. And yeah. uh, so <clears throat> batting was always my problem. And and I just I didn't I couldn't hit for power. I see these new things. When I was a kid, I always wanted something that would that would be able to strap onto my shoulder, my arms, and guide my swing. And because I always ended up just dragging my dragging my swing through rather than getting my hands out there and, and having a proper swing. Well, now I see these advertisements all the time where it's like on the strapped in the arm and there's a rope tied to like this thing that sticks out on your on your uh, your backside arm when you're swinging. And it actually straightens your arm out and teaches you how to properly swing. And I thought, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just now I might as well. I'm not even playing church league baseball anymore, but I'd still love to get that swing down where I could actually hit for power <laughs> because I've never been able to hit for power. So the fact that you got home runs, man, props to you. That's that's impressive. Well, uh, you know, I have my parents to thank for that because they one year kind of in the middle of that uh, elementary age group, I, I wasn't very good hitting at first mm -hmm. and uh, just I was very athletic, but hitting is different than being an athlete. And they took me to get hitting lessons. I forget the guy's name, but he was like a former major leaguer. He had a hitting clinic down in Arkansas, and they just took me down there for a Saturday. And that that lesson just 
changed <laughs> the rest of my childhood career. I guess. Nice, nice. And from that point on, I could I, I knew how to hit. I guess. So, so are you like a uh, weekend warrior when it comes to softball? Is there church league softballs out there in Springfield? I suppose softball no, I, I really don't play anymore. There's we're not in any softball league. So all my baseball now is just playing with the boys with football in the backyard, teaching them the game. And uh, they're 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 learning to love it. And nice. uh, there are a couple lefties, too. So my both my boys are lefties. Really? OK, so <clears throat> very cool. Have you seen the American Wiffleball League on? It's on Instagram, but it's made it all the way to ESPN and everything. Yes, we have. Uh, we've watched some of those games on YouTube with the boys, and oh, yeah, it's fun. Yeah, it is. It's very. I'd fun. love we to did, play in one of those. Wouldn't that be fun? We did that in college, a whole lot, like way too much. We had a field with with a fence, a uh, backdrop, backstop, strike zone, like they have there, and uh, we played a lot. We had a pitcher's mound. <laughs> You know, we should have been studying. It was always intramurals or, or you know, wiffle ball in Brock McIntyre's backyard. But, uh, okay, so uh, Cardinals, so why are you not a Royals fan? Because, I mean, you're right down the road from Kansas City. So what, was it just always uh, – because I guess there's tri- uh, there was a double-A a Cardinals team, I think, at Springfield for a while or something like that. Yep. So is that the connection? Well, so I grew up in Kansas, and that is more Royals country. But my dad grew up in Joplin. And really, it's it is a little bit closer to Kansas City, but it's pretty much the same, you know, not too much farther to St. Louis. But anyway, I don't know how, but he grew up a Cardinal fan. Okay, there is a lot of Cardinal fans in this area, um, and so just my dad was a Cardinal fan, so that's why I became one. And we do have a Double A uh, Springfield Cardinal team here in Springfield, but that um, they didn't come to Springfield until like 2006, somewhere out oh, there. Okay, so been here a little over a decade now okay but, uh, yeah. okay so memories at old bush stadium or only new bush stadium for you old bush stadium yeah okay we let's talk memories to, of bush stadium uh, yeah we'd go to one game a year that's what we could do i had a brother and a sister so my parents would take us to one game a year always looked forward to it the old bush um one of my memories, though, that it, we still talk about to this day when I get together with my siblings and my dad is uh, actually at Kauffman Stadium in Kansas City. The Cardinals were playing the Royals, so we went there. And uh, we had just signed, I think it was like 2005, somewhere around there. We had just signed uh, Larry Walker to oh, the yeah. Cardinals. Yeah. And uh, we, we'd always get there as, as soon as the gates would open to enjoy every second of batting practice, which sadly – they the home teams you don't often get in early enough anymore to see them do batting practice so that's kind of a sad thing about today's game but we were there in front of the cardinals dugout and larry walker is walking towards us going down to the dugout they're standing right beside each other uh, about i'm a few years older than him but larry tosses us a ball bounces on the top of the dugout and i reach out and grab it and to this day my brother swears that he was looking at him throwing it to him my brother and i just reached over and grabbed it but oh, that's the story i promise you he was looking at me you know <laughs> and you know he was looking at you he Absolutely. was not looking at your brother oh man that's yeah. great you know those memories they they do stick with you it's just like playing when you were a kid in the backyard with your buddies or you know the first little league that you're part of but bush stadium stories i, I used to go once a year too it was uh, until i was probably 12 or 13 we would go and I loved Ozzy Smith, and I, I just was young enough because he stopped playing. I think in '96 he retired, and I, so I remember him when I was 
young, but when I got into high school, he had already, you know, he was, he was gone. We went one year when, uh, Barry Bonds just started juicing. It was before it would have been in the early, it probably would have been like 2000. Let's see. Or maybe like, actually, I think he was still for the pirates. Maybe I think he plays for the pirates still. Wow. So it may, may have been like 98 or nine, something like that. So we're sitting down the third baseline and somehow we got good tickets. You know, we always got tickets at the, you know, in the upper deck and the bleachers, you know, way up, way up yeah, top. And we're looking way down there, you know, and, but you know, Bush stadium is always jam packed. So no matter where you're sitting, you know, it, it's hard to, you can find some seats down there and, you know, eventually make your way down, but which we used to do all the time, but we're sitting on the third baseline and I'm talking to my dad. Yeah. It had to be the pirates. Cause I was still young enough to talk to my, I wasn't driving her. I was young. And I talked to my dad. I said, dad, I want a ball. I want a foul ball. And he's like, all right, well, let's pray about it. And we knelt <laughs> right there and prayed that we would get a foul ball. Joshua, the very next pitch, Barry Bonds is up, you know, he's a lefty and he gets under it and it goes and it lands right in the row and it rolls right to my hand. No way. <laughs> and I picked up that ball. They came down. There was like people there that came down and I, I guess maybe they do this with, I, they used to anyways, you signed it and it was like an official thing. Like you caught a foul ball from at Bush stadium and you got a foul ball years later. I liked a girl and I gave that ball away. Oh no. <laughs> and it was not Jordan. It was oh man, a tragic mistake, but I have the memory and it really did happen. And uh, you know, just, just amazing. So, so now sports have gotten gayer and gayer the last few years, as far as official stance from ownership and that kind of thing from gay pride nights to the things that they're supporting. I really personally struggled. It's just like the whole target effect. You know, do I go to target? Do I not go to target? Do I pee in the parking lot? What do I do to get back at them kind of thing? And I stopped watching football because the NFL started annoying me like crazy. But now my kids, my boys are starting to love sports again. So now we're, we're I gave them all my old basketball cards. So now they're, they got basketball cards. They got my baseball cards and football cards. So now we're watching sports. The inner wrestle there of how do you distinguish between like ownership, what the Cardinals now stand for, and still loving the game, and yet uh, you know secretly you know rooting for the for the Rangers because they're the only ones that didn't have a, a gay pride night. But how do you wrestle through that kind of stuff? Because I think just practically that has implications in a lot of other areas of life too, uh, of how you can enjoy something that is just kind of rotting at the upper yeah. levels. Yeah, so I would certainly want to make a distinction between Major League Baseball as a corporation and the teams, but distinction between that and the game of baseball, because obviously uh, the game, game of baseball is much bigger than Major League Baseball. And so from that perspective, I don't want to let the enemy have baseball because it's not theirs. Like mm. I was saying earlier, it's a fruit, I believe, Christian faith in a society. So it's not theirs to take and do what they want with. Now, obviously when they have these pride night celebrations and uh, some of the teams like the Dodgers will even go so far as to wear the, you know, the pride flag patch or whatever on their hats or jerseys, whenever they have those types of things, obviously I think the Christian must not participate in that must not mm -hmm. uh, celebrate that in any way. But there's many ways in which we can enjoy the game of baseball, even enjoy professional teams without paying money for that. You know, you can still listen for free on the radio and you don't have to mm -hmm. give them a dime and, and things like that. So 
if a Christian's conscience does not want, or he just doesn't want to participate at all anymore because there is gay things going on or whatever, I'm, I'm not going to stop him from doing that. That's, mm -hmm. I think that's a valid option, but I also think it's a valid option to still enjoy the game, still believe it's uh, a good Christian game without crossing lines and participating in the pride celebrations and things mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. Um, there's a guy, have you heard of Mark Dewey? Uh, I have heard of Mark Dewey. I don't know where or how. Mark Dewey was is a former major league pitcher. He's a bullpen pitcher in the 90s. He was teammates with Barry Bonds on those okay. Giants teams. He played a year or two for the Mets and the Pirates as well. Pretty decent, decent career. But back in the 90s, this is, you know, now like 20-some years ago almost, uh, the first thing they started doing was, of course, the San Francisco Giants being a Bay Area team, more liberal area. They had, for the first time, an AIDS celebration night. Not celebrating AIDS, but like, you know, uh, you stand with AIDS yeah, victims, yeah. stuff like mm -hmm. that. And so there's a little AIDS patch that the players wore on this AIDS night. Well, Mark Dewey, devout Christian man, uh, reformed Christian. He's a Presbyterian, hmm. uh, very godly, theologically sound man, refused to wear the patch. He and one other teammate wow. refused to wear it. They stayed in the dugout during the pregame ceremony where they were honoring this. And, uh, you know, reporters asked him about it, and he's talked about very plainly how it, it was supporting uh, you know, homosexual lifestyle and, and uh, his Christian faith didn't allow him to participate mm -hmm. in that. Yeah. And he loves him and wants to see him come to Christ and be healed that way. Mm -hmm. And um, he doesn't know for sure. I've actually spoken with him uh, a few times. He can't know for sure, but the next year after that event happened, I think it was like 96. Mm -hmm. um, that was the end of his career. He never got really signed. And it wasn't like he was old and falling apart. Uh, he still had some juice in him, I think. And, wow. Uh, never resigned. Um, and uh, I can't help but think that's probably a big reason was just they didn't want the bad press. Yeah. Wow. Um, so yeah. there's a way, even in the modern era, a guy can refuse to participate. And last thing I'll say on that is even this past year, there was some Pride Night stuff with a lot of the teams. The Tampa Bay Rays they had a rainbow uh, colored logo on their hats for their pride night. There was like three or four pitchers on that team who refused to wear that hat. Mm -hmm. And um, they're still playing. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. They haven't lost. they're just good enough, I guess. But uh, so. Yeah. This last year I've noticed there has been some pushback. It seemed like the tipping point was 2022 for the June stuff in professional sports. I've noticed with hockey teams and some baseball teams, there's been some push pushback and it has been, it seems like there, there's some more Liberty for these players to say no to some of these de demonstrations. And I think 2024 in June, when that rolls around, we're actually going to see more pushback. I think there's going to be more and more people that are open to saying no, you know, I've never thought of baseball being an overflow of Christian culture and it being a Christian game. And it had me thinking, because, you know, in eternity, you know, in the eternal state, work will still be there. Maintenance will still be there. So in the things that are built, they will have to be maintained. There'll be good work to do. Uh, maintenance is not a, a result of the fall. Uh, nor is challenge. So challenge will be there as well. So is baseball a part of the eternal state? 
I'd like to think so. Um, you know, I, hearing the story about God answering your prayer to get a baseball makes me think God loves baseball. Uh, <laughs> I have other reasons for thinking that, but, uh, you know, one of the things about baseball and Mark Dewey, um, he has a podcast with the fight, laugh, feast network. Oh, does he that really tells you what kind of solid guy yeah. he is? Okay. It's called in the bullpen. If anybody okay. wants to look that up, but he helped me think about it in this way. It baseball, every baseball game is different. You may have heard the mantra that every time you go to a baseball game, you'll see something you never saw before. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just crazy thing about baseball. And what we learn from that, I believe, and Mark Dewey was saying this, is that each baseball game is a story. And God as sovereign over every molecule on the earth is the one writing and telling these baseball stories. Hmm. And he's told a lot of good baseball stories. We can think of all kinds of magical, quote unquote, moments in the game of baseball that were just amazing. You can't oh, yeah. write it up that good. David but God wrote, yeah. Oh, yeah. God wrote <laughs> it up that good. Yeah. Those stories were his ideas. And so that's kind of changed the way I've thought of taking in a baseball game is now mm-hmm. I'm watching it saying, what kind of story is God telling here? Yeah, man, and, that's cool. Uh, you know, each inning is like a different chapter in the story, and you've got all kinds of different subplots with the outfielders, you know, spitting seeds while the pitcher and catcher are mind-battling the batters and all this stuff. And God's a great storyteller, and he has chosen to tell baseball stories, and I don't think in eternity God's going to want to stop telling stories. I don't yeah. see any reason to think of that. Yeah. And so the things we do in eternity are just more little stories that God's going to tell. Why not tell a few more baseball stories? Yeah, I mean, I'm game. That, that, that's cool yeah. for me. I'd be interested what Mark Dewey's take on this is. What, be curious what your take is on this. Nolan Ryan and even that uh, pitcher that you had referenced uh, just 20 minutes ago, they would pitch, used to pitching rotation. I think there was only four pitchers in, on rotation, not five. Now I think there's six. Isn't there six starters on the team now? Some teams will do six. Okay. Still mostly five. And these guys have pitch counts usually that, I mean, up to the – you know, if you get a hundred pitches, that's a big game anymore. Yeah. Why are guys getting hurt so much? Why Why are they pitching not, you know, every sixth night, every sixth game and getting Tommy John surgery, you know, three years yeah. into their career. And all these guys used to pitch, you know, Nolan Ryan would pitch 140 pitches and then five days later, you know, and, you know, throwing 105 miles an hour. And there was complete games all the time. So why is it that, like, why, why aren't there complete games anymore? Hardly any. And uh, what's your theory on that? Yeah, there are different different theories behind that. I think one of the reasons is the fact that guys are being babied a little too much. They're not trained coming up to pitch long games. Therefore, they can't. Hmm. And uh, when you get guys uh, who then are extended if on a, in a playoff run or whatever, their arm's not really ready for that because they haven't done that. They've pitched five, six inning games the whole yeah. season. And now you're asking them to do more. And, um, you know, the guys back in the old days who would just pitch complete, you know, Bob Gibson, so many complete yeah. games. He would pitch, I think, in the 1964 World Series or 67. He pitched like three times and like two of them were complete games. I could be off something like that. Just insane. Mm-hmm. And he would give up three or four runs, they just leave him in because they're like, well, he's still a better option than the bullpen guys. <laughs> than anybody you know? else. And I think I think what we see today 
in today's game is like there's an overemphasis on specialty pitchers. Yeah, right. It's kind of developed the last 20 years. And so <clears throat> once you get middle innings, the managers get their minds moving. It's kind of the money ball idea. You just kind of plug, you look at statistics, plug in matchup and say, okay, we're now third time. That's a big thing is you don't, guys today don't want their pitchers going a third time through the lineup hmm. because okay. statistics will show third time through a lineup for a lot of guys the batter's average will go up or other stats. They like figured that. out the pitches. Yeah. Yeah. So instead of just feeling the game and feeling, yeah, that may be statistical things that are true, but is the pitcher, is he grooving in this game? Does he still mm -hmm. have it or should we take him out? And so they just kind of look more at the stats and it's an overemphasis on specialty pitchers. And so you're training the guys to pitch shorter games and the, therefore their arms aren't durable enough. Yeah. Um, the other factor which well, I think we'll see more and more of is this past year in Major League Baseball, they implemented for the first time the pitch clock. Yeah, I saw that. So yep. they have whatever it is, 30 seconds between pitches. If a guy's on base, it's like 15 or 20 seconds to pitch. Mm -hmm. Now you're asking guys uh, to pitch with less rest in between. So just more frequency on that arm. And amazingly, go figure, the arm injuries were up this past year. Mm -hmm. And I think some of that could be due to the pitch clock um, and not allow them to breathe between pitches. Mm -hmm. So there's a number of different factors. Yeah. Um, okay. Interesting. All right. One comment. We'll get into first Corinthians chapter seven here before we wrap things up. So Oh four, the Red Sox finally won a world series, but <laughs> don't remind me. They, yeah, I know. But the NLCS that year was awesome. Went to game seven in St. Louis. If you remember, I think it was against the Astros because the yeah, Astros yeah. used to be National League. I'm in Cleveland, Tennessee, college. Me and my best buddy, Joseph, we were talking back and forth. My buddy, Andy, we're like, we've got to go to this. And we get on this website called eBay, which was I, I somehow figured out eBay back then. And we bought tickets to this game. So we go drive all the way from East Tennessee. We go up to NLCS game seven and we're sitting in right field. You remember Scott Rowland's home run that he hits? I don't know if you remember it. Scott Rowland hit just hit over run. the wall, just over the wall, man. Yeah. It, it landed right below us. We were just sitting <laughs> right there and that we were all the whole city, man. We were dancing together, singing together. We were on the Amtrak because we were always parking the Illinois side. And I mean, it was the most amazing sports experience that I've ever had in my entire life, bar none. It was phenomenal. That's incredible. That's the series, the game six right before that. Correct me if I'm wrong, that game went 12 innings. Jim Edmonds hits the home run to walk yes. it off. Is yeah. That series? Yeah, yeah. Dude, oh, that team, man, that Jimmy Edmonds. So Jimmy Edmonds, he, Jim, uh, he married a girl that, that lived in Royalton, Illinois, which is right up the road from me. So Jim Edmonds still comes. He's got family. He'll still, he'll be around here every once in a while. But, dude, as far as, like, I was telling Ransom the other day, guys who have the coolest run, like, Jordan has a great run. Jim Edmonds has the best run of anybody. Like, talk about a smooth runner and everything he did, man. Talk about finesse. Oh, but if you just watch, like, beautiful. it's just, it's a thing of beauty just watching Jim Edmonds run out the center field. It's incredible. <laughs> hey, one more one more quick story to kind of bring it full circle with oh, yeah. fathers and sons in baseball. So 2011, also a great Cardinal run, as you know, mm -hmm. magical World Series. Well, I recently rewatched uh, game six of that World Series because earlier this year, back in August, my family got me a birthday present 
for my 30th birthday. And uh, it was to go have dinner with David Freeze. No way. He was at at the Springfield Cardinals Stadium. And it was a special event for a charity uh, thing. And uh, so I got to go have dinner with David Freeze. Just you? No, no. It was there was probably a hundred people there. Okay, yeah. man, that's incri- you got to so shake could, his hand and got a picture with him and everything. Yeah, dude, that's yeah. incredible. He's not playing baseball. anymore. There's no way he's playing anymore. No, he's retired. But anyway, I was re so I was rewatching Game Six in preparation for this, you know. Uh huh. And I I realized so on the call on the TV broadcast was Cardinals legend, now the late uh, Tim McCarver mm-hmm. on those 1960 Cardinal teams, and then you had Joe Buck who's St. Louis guy, his father, Jack Buck, called Cardinal Games back mm-hmm. in the day. Well, about midway of the game, uh, you know, Cardinals are kind of down early on that game. About sixth, fifth, sixth inning, they're just talking about game sixes in World Series history. And they just pull up a stat like they do on a broadcast, and they say, Joe asks Tim McCarver, uh, there were, I think it was, there were three World Series game sixes that ended with a home run. Can you name those three World Series? And Tim says, well, I remember one of them. It was uh, Kirby Puckett hit a game six walk-off home run. And I was calling that game with your dad, Jack Buck. And wow. Tim McCarver says, and Jack said the most amazing, he had the most amazing. He just said, we'll see you tomorrow night. That was all he said. And he just let it, let the fans roar. Lo and behold, three, oh, four my. innings later, or six, however long it was later that night, Tim McCarver with Jack's son, walk off game six. <laughs> and, and of course, Joe's call, we'll see you tomorrow night. Oh, man. And that's <laughs> that poetry. story. That's story. that story we're talking about. Father, son, connections, man. beautiful. Well, I, I've been out of watching baseball for a while, but it comes back so quickly. Just thinking about it and remembering games and, and you know, stories and all of that. And when I get off of here, I'll forget. I, you know, I've forgotten a bunch as well that, that could have been told. And I'm sure that's the same with you. But uh, there's so much good there. And for me, my big takeaway, just talking with you, I've never thought about that Christianity is an overflow of Christian men wanting to recreate to the glory of God and creating something for the good of people. And what a cool thing. An overflow of that. It's so much better than cricket. You watch cricket. It's like, hey, you, the British can have that. You know, like, <laughs> forget that. Forget that. Baseball. Baseball is us. Um, yeah. But uh, all right. Any closing comments about baseball that you'd man? I wish I wanted. I, I hope I'm able to say this. Anything else before we put a bow on it and move on? Uh, no, I think I think I've said it. And uh, I'll, I'll think of stuff after this that I wish I said. But uh I think it's been good. good we'll send this to Mark Dewey to let him know that his name got dropped a bunch. I'm going to have to look up that web, or that uh, podcast as well. Okay, here's a question. We'll turn the corner and then wrap it up. From 1 Corinthians chapter 7, For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children will be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. What's that mean? Right. So I think the important thing to recognize there is kind of the – usage of both unclean and holy it's almost as interchangeable because he says they would be unclean but instead they're holy because of the believing spouse and so he's that's kind of the uh it's either unclean or holy so either clean or unclean unclean or clean and uh so i would say that is when you look at the way the whole bible 
uses the term holy and clean and unclean categories, you should immediately think about all the clean and unclean categories of the old covenant. And there were tons of cleanliness laws and things like that. And all throughout that, those discussions in the Old Testament is also the word holy used in the same context and conversation. And so you see the word holy used as a term to describe not necessarily in every case the moral pur purity or the saintliness of someone, although that could be a way to use it as well, of course, but also just the fact that holy things that are, things or people that are holy are set apart. They are set apart for God or uh, clean, not unclean and to be cast out of the camp or whatever. Mm -hmm. So you go through all, and it's not only people in the Old Testament, it's the utensils of the tabernacle, the tabernacle itself, the furniture of the tabernacle, the priest's garments. These are all called holy to the Lord in Exodus, for example. And so obviously a uh, candle stand or a garment that a priest is wearing has no morality to it. It's not a saved priest's garment, mm -hmm. but it's set apart. Uh, acceptable uh, for the uses that it was was called for. So with the children in 1 Corinthians 7 there, um, I think it's just saying simply, your children are are not invalid. They're not to be cast out of the camp. Bring them into church or whatever, you know. They, they can be um, raised up in the ways of the Lord. They're not illegitimate children because you have an unbelieving spouse. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean they're, they're saved, but just, hey, they're not illegitimate children. And um, when it comes to the Presbyterian Baptist debate and things like that, the other thing to recognize is nothing about that passage uh, makes a connection to their holiness being, therefore, a reason to baptize them mm -hmm. or their baptism a reason they're holy. That's not even there. Yeah. The other thing I point to is um, the unbelieving spouse. If you say that, well, we should baptize children and because they're holy because of the believing spouse, well, then you should baptize the other spouse too, because <laughs> their, their marriage is legitimate. It's mm -hmm. not, you shouldn't divorce just because you've married someone and they happen to be an unbeliever. Uh, you were converted later. That aren't there in the text. Yeah. Very good. You cut out there a little bit, but we'll be able to string that together and, my internet connection is telling me it's unstable. Also, for everybody listening in, those loud noises that are upstairs, uh, they're right above me. My children, apparently, are jumping off of our bed and landing right above where we're recording. So that's what you're hearing right there as you uh, hear that the, the floor is falling in. Um, Joshua, this has been a ton of fun. I wanted to ask you that final question because we're sitting on a panel at a conference in Springfield and... Uh, Somebody asked that question, and you did a fine job answering that, and same thing here. So I wanted to uh, to address that as I'm working through this Baptist Covenant household thing that I'm working through on my on my uh, show. So I am going to revisit that and make some comments, come back to those comments that you made. But thanks so much for the baseball talk. Thanks so much for First Corinthians chapter 7. I uh, really appreciate you coming on the show. You want to tell us about, uh, I mean, you have an archive now of, of uh, the Absolute Unit podcast. I don't know if that's going to be keeping keeping up, but tell people where they can find, because you've been on the show before, but tell about where you're writing with Majesty's Men and, and where people can find out more information from you. Yeah, so I, like you mentioned, I was doing a podcast with Brandon Lansdowne called the Absolute Unit podcast. We just talk about weightlifting from a Christian worldview, weightlifting to the glory of God, things like that. 
We haven't done it in a while. I'm not sure if or when it will come back, but there's a back catalog if people want to listen to that everywhere you get podcasts. Uh, and yeah, I also write The Majesty's Men. Uh, I have my blog hosted on that website. And I have written a few articles in the past on baseball. So if people want to go look it up, I wrote on kind of fathers and sons with baseball. And I wrote on baseball and post-millennialism because baseball is kind of a post-millennial sport. And uh, there's a few things like that if uh, people want to look it up. Love it. Send me those links so I can shoot those into the, I could put those into the show notes. That'd be great. That's going to be some, yeah. something about the title of base, baseball is post-millennial or something like that, or baseball is Christian. Uh, I'm going to have to get that in the tag, but uh, Joshua Jenkins, thanks so much, man. I appreciate you coming on the show. Hey, really enjoyed it. Thanks for doing it. Thanks again for listening to the Shepherd's Crypt podcast. For more information, you can go to the shepherdscrypt.co. Please consider leaving a rating or review on iTunes. And if you want to become a member of the Shepherd's Crypt, please message me and we'll get you on the list. We hope you have a great rest of your day.